Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Let's thank the worship team for leading us this morning. Man, just so, um, just so thankful in that last song of just the opportunity. Um, so appreciative of uh, times in worship when we're just really, uh, there's a sense that we're just led right to the throne of grace. And uh, I, I don't know what your life has looked like in the beginning of, of 2022, but I know that um, God's grace has been so close and present. There's a sense, I think, like Paul says um, when he says, rejoice, rejoice, for the Lord is near. For the Lord is near, and um, I, I, I sense in our church and in our staff and in my own heart uh, just a desire to go and, and be in close proximity to the Lord uh, above all other things. And so, um, listen, one of the ways we do that is we rally together, we gather together, we worship together, we consider God's word together. And um, as the lead pastor here, it's just my joy uh, to serve us and lead us. Excited to be back in the pulpit. Thankful for each and every one of you. Thankful for what um, all the things that God has ahead in 2022 for us. And uh, uh, thankful for your commitment to our church. But as we think about commitment to anything, uh, to a church, to a family, to an organization, any sort of thing, we got to ask the question, um, what do we exist for and, and, and sort of where do we start? And uh, so this series uh, over the next, today and the next four weeks is called Start Here. And uh, we're going to teach through the mission statement and the pillars of Christ Church. Um, because if you're trying to decide whether this should be the church you attend, start here in this series. If you want to make a move to be more fully connected to our church, start here. We're going to walk you through it. If you need a refresher, if you're just sort of like, I feel like I'm kind of veering in the last year, I kind of feel disconnected or, um, or, or not quite in alignment, um, start here. Here's where we're going. So I'm excited to kick off uh, this series with our mission. And so uh, let me just pray for us and we'll jump in. God, I'm asking in this message that you would... Uh, bring for some a connection point, for some an affirmation, for some a realignment. For all of us, I pray there would be a, a, a unified affirmation of the mission and its grounding in your word so that we might together be uh, called and equipped by the work of your spirit, by the awesome power of your gospel to fulfill this mission that we might be all that you've called us to be as Christ church. And so I just ask that you would just anoint this time with your spirit, work through this fallen messenger. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. So today, as we should, I'm gonna start with the mission. And uh, why do we start with the mission? Because the mission defines our purpose, it defines our alignment, and it clarifies what we're chasing. It's why we gather together. So I want to encourage you to ask the question this morning, and I think it should just come from just this like really authentic place where we just go, why am I here? Why am I here? Whether you're at home joining in on this service or, or, or here in the room with us, why are you here? Why am I a part of Christ Church? Don't, don't be scared to ask that question. Be scared if you're not asking that question. And start to ask it more. Because I want to be clear to anyone that um, we don't want to be a tradition-driven church. Well, I just kind of show up because I showed up last week, and I'm, I'm kind of, I got a little, I got a little rhythm going. Two weeks in a row, I'm going to go for three. Like, like th th that's that's not the reason why we are a church. Um, we don't want to be a pastor-driven church. Okay, 
I love Pastor Jeremy, okay? I, I love him too, like so many of the rest of us, but that's not why I'm here every week. Um, he's a phenomenal pastor. He loves me as well as he loves so many of you, and, uh, but that's not why we're here. We don't want to be a convenience-driven church. Well, you know, this church is in North Muskegon, and I live in North Muskegon, so it's just convenient. That's for sure why, not why we want to be gathered. We want to be a mission-driven church. Why? Because we're striving on a mission to be obedient to what God, through the work of his redemptive story, has called the church to be. And there's a mission running through that redemptive story that we want to align our life with. There's instructions of how to live both individually and collectively as the local church in God's word, which we believe. So we want to align with those instructions and pursue that mission. We are Christ's church. So there has to be an aspect of this that we're like, hey, I think, I think we might want to be a gathering place for the followers of Jesus Christ being faithful to what Jesus Christ told us to be faithful to. And so what's the clearest way to express that mission? We announced in a message in November that we were wrestling with clarity about our mission. The, the, the previous mission statement that we were wrestling with was this. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And as we've evaluated this over the past few years, we felt like it just wasn't sharp enough. It needed to be sharpened, a little more clear. There's uh, too much language there that's a bit Christianese, and we wanted to explicitly state some things that we feel like need to with greater clarity. And so we were wrestling through this, and we uh, put a sharpened mission statement in front of our church in November. Again, we walked through another season of feedback and processing to finally arrive at this official mission statement for Christ Church moving forward that I want to unpack today. Here it is. We exist to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. This is our mission. This is an unpacking with greater clarity than ever before of what that word great commission, which actually isn't in the Bible, but is one of those little sectioned headings. Uh, we want to be explicit about what it means. Because here's the thing. <laughs> this is the big move for our message today, and it should be the big move that sort of is that overarching umbrella over all messages. It, it should be the overarching sort of big move uh, around our ministries, all of our activity, our leadership, and our lives individually and collectively. And so in this message, what I want to do in a topical way, I want to um, establish the biblical and theological rationale for this mission statement because it has to be defended biblically. And there's three passages for us this morning that we're going to walk through. And the first one is Psalm 86, 9 through 12. If you got your Bibles, get turned there. And these three passages are going to guide us as we walk through this mission statement. First, should be no surprise if you've seen the mission statement that I just presented, glorify God. Glorify God. Look with me at Psalm 86, 9 through 12. Right in the midst of the Psalm of David, we have this power-packed section about glorifying God. Look what it says. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Excuse me, unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you 
O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Now the word glorify, just so you have it with clarity, the word glorify literally means this. It means to positively acknowledge, recognize, or esteem God's character, nature, or attributes. More simply, you could say that to glorify God is to reflect the character of God in both of your, both your response and your life. Glorify. And just look with me at Psalm 86, this section, because it, it really captures this idea of glorify, and that's why I chose this as such a key passage in the midst of understanding our mission statement. I want you just for a moment to not look at this like a song that was sung long ago, but I want you to sort of immerse yourself in this passage and just sort of look around as a reflection of this passage being lived out. Just do that with me for a moment. Look, look, look at what it says. First, he makes an observation. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. So this is something that's going to happen. This is the inevitability of God's dominion over all of the world is that there's coming a point when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is. And so there's this aspect of glory that is a a reflection of what's coming. And there's a submission underneath that. And then, so now we're immersed in this. And then look, then he makes a specific observation about God. And he says, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. A statement of exclusivity. That God is above all other things. And then, then a statement of a personal engagement with God. Look how it shifts. It's not now all the nations. It's not for you are great and do wondrous things. It's not just you alone are God. Look what it says in verse 11. Teach me your way, O God. Notice the personal shift here of I want to glorify God. That I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart and I will glorify your name forever. You could, you could just note in that psalm or underline it, teach me that I may walk, unite my heart, I give thanks, I will glorify. Remember church, we're, we're looking at a psalm. These were songs that were meant to be sung in the gathering of God's people. And this this chorus that we see at the end that's so personal to the psalmist, to David, it would have been heard, sung. Just think about that. Think about what it means and what it reflects about the awesomeness of God and our desire to glorify God when we say with increasing beauty and clarity, teach me that I may walk. Unite my heart, I give thanks, I will glorify. Like, <clears throat> these, are, these are meant to be the sort of refrain or the chorus of the people who glorify God. This is the refrain of them, of what they're singing out. This idea of glorifying God is so central um, in the history of the church. Um, How many of you have been to a a catechism class? It's a big fancy church where, see, I knew it. I see, I know West Michigan enough. Okay, I've adapted a bit. A bunch of people have been through a catechism class. And a catechism class is just churches in the past have done it, and they're still in the present. A lot of churches that do catechism classes. And 
Uh, what they involve oftentimes is a set of questions and answers that people learn to understand with greater uh, clarity the doctrines of the Bible, of the gospel, of all of those things. And one of the most popular catechisms is the Westminster Catechism. And the first question that they ask What is the chief end of man? What is your purpose? What is your mission? What is supposed to drive your life? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is why we exist, church. The chief end of your life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So it's got to be in our mission. But the question I've got to ask you is that as we walk through this, don't just be like, oh, let me just see and understand the mission of Christ church more. You need to ask the question, is this my mission? Is this really my mission? Is is, is this more than that has reflected by the fact that you see it in the Psalms? Is this the song that's being sung for my life? I think that is a beautiful picture of the way God's truth is supposed to connect with our lives, that it becomes a a refrain or a chorus that we sing. I just wanna glorify God, just glorify God. Over so many aspects of my life that the glory of God would be the thing that I'm seeking. When you worship, are you thinking about glorifying God or just are you mostly concerned about trying trying to stay on tune and not disturb the person next to you? When you, when you? When you read and learn from God's word, are you thinking about glorifying God? When you're approaching God in prayer, are you asking, am I glorifying God? When you think about marriage, is your mission to keep your spouse happy? or to glorify God. In your parenting, is your primary mission just to keep your kids alive until they graduate from high school and you're like, done? Or is it to glorify God every step along the way? When you think about your job, is it, I I just wanna try to get paid as much as possible in the shortest amount of time, or is your heart uh, to glorify God, to reflect his glory into the workplace? When you plan for retirement, you focus on getting your golf score as low as possible and just putting it on cruise control, or are you continuing to press into being a reflection of the glory of God? Do you avoid sin because you're like, I don't want to face the consequences of sin? Or do you avoid sin because it doesn't glorify God, and have you been trained in submitting to the glory of God that the truth of what happens when I go after sin or chase that is that I actually give glory to other gods, and that steals the enjoyment of living in and under God's goodness and blessing. See, church, we avoid sin even to glorify God, to glorify God. When you bring all of these and every other aspect under this mission of glorifying God, you will declare and even sing like David did in Psalm 86. Teach me, O God, that I may walk. Unite my heart. I give thanks. I will glorify. This is why at the very beginning of our mission statement is we exist to glorify God. That's the first part of our mission. Psalm 86, 9 through 12. Part of glorifying though, as those of us who have walked in it, is to walk in the truth of God. And um, we know in the New Testament that God in his effort to communicate his truth sent his son into the world both to be 
to actually be the embodiment of the truth. If you think about that, it's just so fascinating to think that God sent Jesus into the world to be the embodiment of truth. And it reflects the fact that um, God wants our life to embody the truth of Jesus. That's why in the gospel, we're invited to bring our lives into Christ and then the spirit of God fills us and into that place where we can be by God's grace, by faith, faithful to what God calls us to. And in Jesus' teaching in our world, there are two primary commandments or commissions that he gives. That, that as we were examining the full teaching of Scripture, the full teaching of what happens in the New Testament, <clears throat> there is both a work that's done in our hearts that has a vertical and a horizontal component, and then there's a move out from that. And so let's start with the first one that clearly was taught by Jesus and prioritized by him. And so if we want to glorify God, we need to reflect the truth of this. We need to embody it. And that's this, loving God and loving others. Now, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. So when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, oh great, here comes the lawyer, send him to ask the question. He's good at asking questions. Asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Church, what I want you to see here is, is that Jesus is unifying his teaching with all of the teaching of the law and the prophets, which emphasized loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbors yourself. And he brings it all together, and he's like, no question, these are the two great commandments that you're still called to live under. And we just wanted in our mission statement to be explicit about this. But first and most importantly, before I unpack a bit on loving God and loving others, let's be reminded from a, a, a message last month on love, uh, the world's definition of love versus the Bible's definition of love. Let's just get biblical clarity on this. Look at this again. Um, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The picture of love in the world is the heart. The picture of love in the gospel is the cross, both that Jesus came into our world so that he could then die on the cross. That is the picture of love. The state of the soul in the world is a leaky cup, just so needy, and I'm just leaking everywhere. You, fill, you pour in, I leak out. You pour in, I leak out creates codependency, it creates lots of issues of fear of man and all the sort of things that happen in our relationships. Um, the gospel is an overflowing pitcher. I get filled up with God and I overflow into other people's lives. Uh, foundation of love is insecure in the world, it's secure in the gospel. The end goal is to satisfy self in the world, it's to love others in the gospel as we're gonna see. The foundation to love is feelings in the world, it's truth in the gospel, and when it's hard to love in the world, they flee. In the gospel, we endure. We endure. 
And in this passage, what Jesus first calls us to is to love the Lord. I've seen people teach on the loving the Lord with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they, they, they break down all the different ways that that could mean. Here's what it ultimately means. Love God with the totality of your being. Like, like that's what we're called to do, that there is literally nothing held back from the Lord. And, and, and I'm submitting my life to him, and, and we love him with our whole being because his love for us, this is the best part about loving God, is all, his love is always perfect. It's always perfect. The enemy loves to, um, and our flesh loves to, whisper in our ear the deception that God's love is not perfect all the time. I was just talking to a man in our church this week and honestly said, I'm, I'm wrestling with anger towards God over a situation that's playing out in my life. And the enemy loves to do that, but here's the truth, what we see in scripture again and again. We wander, but he remains. We withdraw, he continues to seek. We are unfaithful all the time and he remains faithful. We love imperfectly, he loves perfectly. Loving God is critical because in the, there's an order in this mission statement that we felt like was so important. We glorify God and the first thing when we feel the call to glorify God and we see what God is gonna do and we see how awesome God is, the first move is to reconcile this relationship vertically that I need to enter into the throne of God that we talked about earlier in our worship set and I need to behold and take hold and rest and be in this relationship where God loves me perfectly. Because it's only there, church, it's only rooted there that we can even move on in the mission statement. We, we can't fulfill anything else until we understand that we're made and designed, that our very life was uh, established to glorify God, to shine his glory to the world, and then we love God and identify his perfection, reconciles, covers, redeems our imperfections. Love God, and that makes possible this next commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Or in our mission statement, more simply, loving others. And um, this is uh, such a challenge. It's such a challenge. This is the crucible of discipleship. This is the training ground. It's only going to be consistent, this loving for others, if your life and heart is secured in God's love for you first. This, is, this call to love others is what draws us into community, what gives us some of the desires we have for, um, for companionship and love from others. And it's the building block, this call to love others, it's the building block of the biblical household and it's the building block of the local church. And it's the fuel that's going to uh, propel us forward for the last part of the mission. But as I process this week honestly, the, the, the thing I don't want to do um, is sort of do what sometimes I feel like I hear from preachers or sometimes from the church is we, we talk about this and we just go, man, this is what you, you know what you're called to do? 
You're called to love God and love others. And I think sometimes we can teach that as though it's easy. Just love God and love others. And I think sometimes we can rush a bit. And, and we can try to like get everything quickly to this perfect place of redemption so that we can feel some sense of security. But I'm beginning to understand in my own life, honestly, more and more, that there's something about discipleship and the way that God works in our hearts and the way that he forms us, that he actually wants us to sit with sort of open hands with relationships and just recognize that they are insanely complex and messy. Anybody with me? They, they just are. And, and they're messy with others because both sides are a mess. At least with God, which is where I tend to run most times, is because at least I know that one of us is perfect. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to spend a lot of time there because I'm a hot mess, but I know he's perfect. And, and, and so, so i got to get myself right and i got to hear from him, but I know that everything he says I can trust. But with relationships, it is a mess. But God, in his work of the gospel, just again and again reminds me and gives me hope that he brings beautiful redemption out of the mess. But there is nothing in the Bible on this side of heaven that makes that easier. I had an interaction with an older woman in our church who was, um, this was about a year and a half ago, and she was serving on a ministry team. And uh, I was asking her to take care of something that I noticed on a Sunday morning. And in the midst of my morning, thinking about the message and all sorts of different things, I know, I know church. Um, that sometimes I can just move too fast. And in that moment, I communicated something that I was asking her to do just a bit quickly, and it got received as though it was harsh. And she got offended, and she was hurt. And she fortunately, by God's grace, um, called the church, set up a time to meet with me. She was nervous. I was like, don't even know what she wants to talk about, but I love her, and she's a part of our church, so I'm going to meet with her. She was faithful to God's word in coming to share with me and she came and just spoke to me from her heart. And in that moment, I honestly didn't remember the interaction, but I just said, hey, if that, I can see that that hurt you and so I just wanna ask for your forgiveness and thank you for bringing that to me and we just had a great conversation and there was some aspect of our relationship that was restored. It was, it was a very helpful moment for me in processing how to love others well. And I was so thankful for it. And it, it didn't make our relationship m more awkward. It actually made our relationship warmer than ever before. And um, I reached out to her this past week for permission to share this story. And she added this in a text. She said, looking back, it wasn't you. It was me dealing with the rejection from my stepmom. You could have blamed me knowing you didn't do anything wrong. She concluded, God has done an amazing work in my heart in the last six months, gently pruning my judgmental heart. Now, 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 let me just be really clear. 
Those words did not let me off the hook in any way in regards to what I needed to learn. But you see what God was doing in the midst of that. That what God was doing was bringing two people together who, who had had a moment of a miss and, and, and some failure and certainly some sin all mixed in together. And, and in the midst of that, I was able to see what I needed to learn. And then through the work of my approach to her, thankfully by God's grace, then God began to do a work in her heart and brought this fully, totally to yesterday. Just honestly, I was on the verge of tears just talking to her. And it, I realized in that, like, we, we, we have to stay in the mess. We have to give some of this time in the midst of our church and our relationships. God's convicted me and her in the midst of this. And, 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 and what, what happened in this is I stepped back from it for a moment as I just realized, man, there's some biblical principles about how we love others that just played out as I looked back on it. Some of it was just by God's grace. It wasn't because I'm good at those situations, trust me. But it was because we just wanted to be faithful to God's word and to love like the gospel teaches us to love, not love like the world teaches us to love. Man. This part of the mission is the messy place where God reveals, convicts, encourages, and changes us. And so as I stepped back for a moment, I realized some really helpful principles. And I don't want to acknowledge the mess in our church and leave all of us going, yeah, it's, it's a mess. And to not give us a bit of what I believe is the highest level summary of what the Bible teaches on how to love others well practically. And so let me just walk through this with you. You're going to see this from the story that played out with this um, a blessed sister in our church. First, we have to, in relationships, in loving others, understand Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can trust it? We have to walk around kind of with this sense that my heart will deceive me if I try to trust it. And so in the midst of this, what you have to do is you, you can't trust your feelings, emotions, hurts, assumptions, narratives, or gossip, and that is so hard. It's so hard to do. And so out of this sort of overarching principle of, 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 of God recognizing and walking in the brokenness of our own flesh, there are four principles to help you love others in the mess. First one is this, get low, get low, get low. If we wanna love others well, first we gotta get low. These are all gonna rhyme. I promise I won't break into a rap, okay? The first one is get low. Humble yourself. Let conflict in relationships drive you to your knees, both literally and figuratively. Receive the correction. Turn towards the correction. Consult scripture. See the conflict as an opportunity for God to reveal, teach, and shape you. See it as a grace. Seek God to see his love clearly and be filled with his love to love others. So first, get low. The, excuse me, the second part is, because the Bible talks about this all the time, uh, don't assume you know. Oh my goodness, I need this one written right in front of me all the time. Don't assume you know. It's why the Bible says 
I love this. It's why in Proverbs it says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. It's also why the Bible says, don't listen to gossip and slander. Because you're only getting one side. It's also why the Bible says, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. It's also why the Bible teaches us in Matthew 18. It teaches us, as this woman in our church so faithfully did, she came and shared my, the, the offense she had with me. And if I would have been like, hey, you overly sensitive woman, why are you talking to me? It would have been right for her to go and get one or two other witnesses and then to meet with me and be like, I don't think he's hearing. And it says there that if it's, you're not heard, bring one or two other people so the charge can be established. So it could be established. And, and what I love about this, I think I always saw this as sort of this like courtroom hearing sort of thing, and it makes it so intimidating. But church, the reason why it, God leads us this way is because we want to make sure that we're not deceived by our hearts. We want to make sure that there's not sinful slander or gossip. We want to make sure that we can discern what is true to examine perceptions and feelings and hurts that we all walk around with, me too. And then after, don't assume you know, is this one, go slow. Go slow. Love is patient. As I walk through these four, there's certainly gonna be some that resonate with you, maybe more than the others. Um, this one is like a blinking light for me. Anyone that knows me knows that this is my primary struggle and I have learned in a lot of hard moments that grace and compassion and listening requires time and care and conversation. I am a type A personality and that does not in any way excuse how that plays out in relationships, fair? I, I, it's so easy for me just to want results and it's so easy for me to try to resolve everything to quickly. See, I, I've had to realize that loving others is not like a task that you accomplish around the house, right? It's like, get the door fixed. Check, door fixed. It, it, you, you can't bring that into the mess. You, you have to be prepared to love patiently and endure in the mess. Because, listen, we, we all bring our brokenness into these relationships, we bring our baggage and all of our, the ways that we can perceive rightly or wrongly, our slights, our hurts, our insufficiencies, all of it. So go slow, go slow. And then finally this one, get counsel to grow. First and primarily, listen to discern wisely regarding counsel. Don't seek counsel from people who agree with you all the time. I'm so thankful for elders and staff who are completely the opposite of my personality. Be careful of people who validate everything you're feeling as opposed to questioning that and processing through it with you. Listen to counsel. Be wise. Come wanting to hear the hard truth. Come assuming your heart is deceitful. Get counsel to grow. Proverbs says in an abundance of counselors, there is both safety and victory. Who doesn't want that? Like 2022, get counsel to grow. Like I, I want safety and victory. I want it all. 
I am um, unashamed to share that in this past year, um, I've been meeting with a biblical counselor over a number of things that I want to be processing through and growing in my own life. I have not arrived, not in any way. I, I know like we all have, there's unhealthy patterns that get established over time and there's ways that our heart is deceitful and we don't see it clearly. And like I said earlier, I struggle to go slow and I've had to see that and, and mull over some things that help me go slower. I want everything finished immediately. <laughs> and so this zeal is a blessing and a strength in certain areas, but if you've been around any sort of leader or, or in the ways that you lead in your home, there is a shadow side to some of our strengths. And um, I know that this zeal can be a liability in relationships, especially when there is hurt or conflict. And so I just want to live transparently before you because I want to lead us forward in this well. Because I know that this in my own life has impacted the people closest to me. It's impacted my wife, my family, close friends, staff, others. And you want to know what's hard in the mess? <laughs> You can't fix this in one week, dang it. Like, I want to so badly. I, I promise you, I, I, I can see the truth of the gospel that I preach every week. And, and I can see redemption and it compels me and I long for it so much to just be with Jesus. But, but, but in the mess of this and in the brokenness of my flesh like yours, man, we can't fix this in a week. And so I'm just, I'm just trying to do what I can do and what God tells me to do. I'm currently pursuing anyone I know I have hurt, asking God to give me patient love but not stopping on that. I've said that at other times in our church. I'm not pulling back from that, not in any way. I'm learning to grow more self-aware of blind spots in my life. And, and I see it bearing fruit, and it's so good, but it's still messy, and it's not redeemed fully. I still have a lot to learn, but I am exceedingly thankful for the faithfulness, the love, the graciousness, and communication of hard truth shown to me by my wife, my family, my friends, church family, and especially our elders and our staff. And, and, and I, I wanted to process through this today and I wanted to share it because I think it's really important when we talk about our mission to create space in our church where we applaud openness about the struggle and the mess. And I just wanted to set an example in that. We applaud the openness about the struggle. Where, where we approach when there is hurt, we gotta follow the biblical principles. But I want Christ Church to be a place where submitting to counsel is not an embarrassment or something to be avoided, but a badge of honor, a mark of the disciple of Jesus Christ who is working in the mess of relationships to learn to love God and love others, amen? So let's be a place where we're just like, yes, come with that. It's critical to our mission. Get counsel to grow. Now let's walk in this together. 
and it's gonna be a mess, but let's endure and watch God bring beautiful things out of it. Get low, don't assume you know, go slow and get counsel to grow. And then this final thing, I promise. This will never be the direction your flesh wants to flow, but it it is the direction our mission must go. Okay? I know, I know. I feel like Dr. Seuss up here today. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Listen, relationships are a mess, but if you run from the mess, you'll be running from discipleship, and you'll be running from the mission of God and the mission of this church. Messiness in relationships is not something to avoid, but a grace to embrace. I promise I'm done. That's it, that's it, that's it. No more rhyming. And I want to encourage you to join me. I think I've wanted in my leadership to clean up messes too quickly. But like my uh, dear sister has shown me, it just takes time. And in the same way that I want to create space for her to learn, I also want the same space to learn and to grow. It's part of our mission and it should be messy, but as long as we live by God's grace, obedient to these biblical principles, we'll grow in our love for God and love for others. Learning to love in the mess of our collective brokenness is the training ground for biblical discipleship. And this is why in the last year we wanted to make this explicit in our mission. I don't want there to be any question of this being central to what it means to being a part of this church. We're learning in that, we're growing in that. And let's be honest about it. Where it's a mess in our relationship with God and with others. We exist to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and then finally this last one, making disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came to his disciples right at the end of his life, um, I'm sorry, after the resurrection, before he ascended to heaven, the end of his life on earth. And, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What, what's our purpose? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Making disciples of all nations. See, the order of this is important, and that's all I'm gonna talk about in this because we're actually spending an entire week of one of our pillars talking about purposeful discipleship. So I'm not gonna go deep on this point. I wanna close kind of with helping you see the connection. We glorify God first. That is the overarching thing we're chasing after. And the way we shine that first is by embracing God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross in the gospel. We now can have right relationship with God. That overflows into us redeeming the mess in relationships and learning to love others. And that changes and transforms us to love more like Christ. And then from that, only when that is both the overarching glory and the loving God and loving others, when that is right, now we walk into, it's Matthew 28 after Matthew 22. The order is important here. It's theologically important. And with this love shining from our lives, we arrive at what is often referred to as the Great Commission. And there's really three parts of this, just quickly, and we're gonna unpack this way more in that final message of this series. First, uh, it's to, uh, uh, the, is to follow. 
We're calling people to follow. That's what it means to go and make disciples. It's calling people to follow Jesus. Then in, in baptism, it's declare. This is where I choose to identify with Jesus. It's a public proclamation of faith in Christ. And then to learn. Learn is, is an ongoing, lifelong journey of choosing to follow the way of Jesus. This is the end goal, to multiply God's glory, to multiply and teach others to find right relationship with God and love him, to teach others not the world's view of love but the Bible's view of love so that we can love others more authentically and that God can redeem beautiful things out of the mess. In addition, we're called to make disciples of all nations. Not just people that look like us and think like us, but people of all nations, of all cultures, of all tribes, of all tongues. So there's no extent to where this mission can send us. In the past in our church, we've supported a church plant in Haiti and a church plant right in Fremont, both local and far away. We're currently walking alongside a church plant in Dublin, Ireland. More opportunities certainly in the future. All nations. So church, this is the mission of Christ's church. We exist to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. And all of this is possible because of what Jesus accomplished for us in his gospel. And the challenge for everyone moving forward is to answer this question. To be a part of Christ's church means that you're asking the question increasingly like I am in my life. How can you more faithfully live out the mission? We won't go where God's calling us to go if it's not clear where we are going. Let Christ's church be known for its mission. Live on mission. Ask that question. It's not a mission to be added to other missions. It is the mission to align all other missions under. We exist to glorify God by loving God, loving others, and making disciples of all nations. Let's pray together. God, we are not a done, not until we see you in perfection. And this mission is not a just to look pretty on a wall. It's not just to know in our minds, but it is what we want to embody Father, this, this was the heart of your son. He always wanted to honor you and he loved you dearly as his father. And he loved us so perfectly both in his coming and in his death. And he's left us with both a mission and the power of the spirit to fulfill that mission. To make disciples of all nations. God, as we walk in this mission, would you give us um, a sense of our fragile hearts? Would you help us to walk knowing that we need your grace and your wisdom and the counsel of the church, that we need the support and structure and we need the correction and the encouragement. God, would you teach us to endure so that your glory might be more clear, so that we might be trained to love you and love others. And through that, God, that more disciples would be one to your kingdom. 
Father, in this, would you both give us the depth of this mission and the simplicity of it? And would you draw us in deeper to be more faithful as an offering of our lives to you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.